The history of math is our intellectual foundation to understanding science. Science. Beautiful, awesome, wonderful science. It's the creative foundation to our ineffable future. Hi, I'm Gabrielle Burchak, and this is my podcast, Math, Science, History. This podcast is sustained through your generous contributions, which I am so very grateful for. You can visit me at mathsciencehistory.com. Click on that coffee cup on the right side of my website and buy me a cup of coffee or two or three or four because every cup of coffee that you buy keeps this podcast up and running. As some of you have heard in my last podcast, I've been listening to a fantastic podcast called The Industrial Revolutions, hosted by Dave Broker. Every month, Dave puts out a thought-provoking and informative long-form podcast full of colorful detail about how we, as a primate species, have evolved to create a world filled with inventions, technologies, and various forms of mass transportation, all while enduring societal and economic changes. The podcast in Industrial Revolutions is a fantastic reminder that we are a resilient species. You can find the Industrial Revolutions on your podcast app and at industrialrevolutionspod.com. This month, Dave's podcast, called Springtime of the Peoples, addresses the end of the first industrial revolution. So, give it a listen. I think you will like it. As many of you know, the Industrial Revolution brought about the mass production of food, iron tools, tin and cast iron products, and textiles like cotton, linen, and wool. Many of the products that were once part of the cottage industry had become products created in mass quantities. Unfortunately, like the small bookstores that had to contend with Amazon, all the small cottage businesses had closed up as mass production in the factories took hold during the Industrial Revolution. Before the Industrial Revolution, 80% of people who lived on large parcels of land and farms began migrating into the urban areas. As a result, 80% of those who were once farmers Farmers had become city dwellers. Since the cottage industry was no longer relevant, people were going to work in the factories. They needed to make an income. Since factory work became a primary form of income, this also meant that women and children also worked in the factories. Thus, child labor became a prominent issue in the Industrial Revolution. And the irony in this is that some of the factories that the children toiled in were mass-producing tin toys. Child labor laws came into existence in 1839, starting with the first child labor laws in Prussia. It was unfortunate that so many children were either overworked or, worse yet, working in dangerous conditions where they would lose their limbs as well as their lives. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, many of these workers did not even understand the broad scope of their roles in the factories, nor did they even know what they were making. During the cottage industry age, people who made the products used the products. However, because of the factory's meager wages, the factory's toys were possessions of the rich and wealthy and were even advertised as such. Many of these toys were made of tin, and though some of these tin toys were indeed created as early as the 13th century, the Industrial Revolution mass-produced them. Machines could stamp out tin patterns into objects like miniature guns, miniature cannons, frying pans with metal fish, and stools. 
Toy companies started emerging beginning in Germany. By 1880, Germany had five toy factories, and by the end of World War I, the United States had about 50 toy manufacturers. Over time, these factories started mass-producing cast-iron toys. Factory workers created these cast-iron toys, creating a mold of the toy and then filling the mold with molten iron. Once the iron cooled down, the worker would then bolt the parts together. Then the toys would be hand-painted. This hand-painting was part of the process until about 1875, when the lithographic process began painting the toys in mass quantities. There's something to be said about how playing with toys inspires curiosity and discovery. Some of the toys of the Industrial Revolution are still popular toys today. These toys have, in some way, contributed to the development of science. The mass production of building blocks was one of the first methods of introducing engineering and architecture to young children. Maria and Richard Edgeworth first mentioned building blocks in their book called Practical Education, and it was published in 1798. Originally called, quote, rational toys, these building blocks helped teach children about physics and spatial relationships. Even today, building blocks are foundational to children's education and mental development, as these building blocks have now evolved into our cherished Lincoln Logs, Tinker Toys, Connects, and Legos. Today, these rational toys have evolved, and we now have toys like Goldie Blocks, which seeks to develop problem-solving skills and confidence in young girls as they employ early engineering talents and learn about the exciting world of physics. I love Goldie Blocks. Propeller toys are another popular mass-produced toy of the Industrial Revolution. Among these propeller toys were the, and I kid you not, this is the name, Gee-Haw Whammy Diddle. This toy consists of two wooden sticks. One stick has a set of notches along its side. At the end of this stick is a propeller. The other stick is scraped up and down across the notches of the propeller stick. This action causes the propeller to rotate. And depending on which way you are rubbing the stick up and down the notches, the propeller rotates in a different direction. Unbelievably, there are Gee-Haw Whammy Diddle competitions held every year to beat the previous ruled record of how many times a person can make the propeller reverse direction within a certain amount of time. Propeller toys have most definitely served to inspire the creation of the airplane. One day, around 1880, Bishop Milton Wright brought home a small toy helicopter. It was made of wood and had two rubber bands that were used to turn a propeller. He had seven children, including two boys who were also best friends, Wilbur and Orville. They played with that toy helicopter until it broke, so they decided to make their own propeller toy, which was a success. Then they decided to make even more of them, which they sold to their friends for a profit. This propeller toy fueled their curiosity and innovation, and as they grew older, Wilbur and Orville Wright used that propeller toy as inspiration to create the first airplane. Today, the airplane and helicopter have evolved into RC flying planes and helicopters, as well as drones. In 1973, Abraham Karam built the very first drone during the Yom Kippur War in Israel. Drones, unfortunately, have been used for warfare, at times killing innocent victims. However, during our current coronavirus pandemic, drones are used to deliver medical supplies and PPE to medical facilities. But the propeller toy has also had some horrible evolutions, like the swing wing. Next to the clicker clacker, the swing wing was probably one of the dumbest toys I've ever seen from the 1960s. The swing wing was like a hula hoop for the head. 
It was a hat in the shape of a bowl with a tassel on top. To get it to work, you would strap it on your head and jolt your body around to get the long, colorful tassel to whip around your head. The quote-unquote toy was eventually recalled because kids were getting neck and spine injuries. The commercial for this toy is absolutely hilarious, probably because they couldn't go with their first choice of, Janie, what would you like for Christmas this year? Gee, Mom, I've always wanted a spinal injury. I'm going to ask Santa for a swing wing. Swing wing. <laughs> Speaking of toys that spin, the Whirly Gig has come so far from being the mass-produced toy of the Industrial Revolution. The Whirligig is a toy that spins and or whirls. Though the Whirligig had been around since 400 BC, the toy evolved into various functions. The button Whirligig is a button that has a string threaded through the holes. When it is whipped around in circles with the string being pulled taut, it makes a whirling sound as it spins. The friction Whirligig is much like the Giha Whammy Diddle. And the wind-driven whirligigs are like the rooster weather vanes seen on top of houses or the plastic pinwheel flowers found in gardens. One of the most significant advancements with the whirligig is its current use as a centrifuge. A centrifuge is a machine with an internal cylinder that spins. Inside of the cylinder are tubes that hold liquids. When the cylinder rotates rapidly, the centrifugal forces causes the liquid samples to separate into layers based on their density. It is often used in the medical industry to analyze blood and determine the health of an individual. Manu Prakash is a scientist and professor of bioengineering at Stanford University. His inventions and ideas have saved millions of lives. One of these inventions was the Whirligig created by his team. In 2013, when Prakash and his students were traveling through Uganda, they had visited a clinic where they were using a medical centrifuge to hold the door open. The centrifuge was being used as a doorstop because the clinic did not have the electricity required to use it. Its use as a doorstop was unfortunate because physicians at the clinic had no way of determining malaria in their patients. In a centrifuge, when blood is put in a tube and separated based on density, plasma in the blood floats to the top while the malaria parasites sit in the middle of the tube. Because of this observation of the centrifuge, Prakash and his team began to design a centrifuge that did not need any power. They tried different things to observe how fast non-electrical items could spin in revolutions per minute. They tried tops, salad spinners, and other things. Then, in 2016, Saad Bamla, a postdoctoral researcher from the Indian Institute of Technology, Madras, who was working with Prakash, brought a button and some string into the lab. He made a button whirly gig and spun it in front of a camera to discover that it could spin up to 15,000 revolutions per minute. So, after several designs and experimentation, they eventually came up with a paperfuge that could spin 125,000 revolutions per minute, which was almost as fast as a centrifuge. The paperfuge is just like the whirligig. Blood is put into a little tube and then attached to the paper disc. When the string expands and contracts, the paper disc spins rapidly, separating the blood into different densities. As a result, physicians traveling around the world now have a centrifuge that requires absolutely no electricity. 
The education of our children is going to contribute to the well-being of our future. However, the creation of toys and the art of play have, in so many ways, contributed to the incredible advancements and developments in science. All too often, we do not take the time to play. Which is unfortunate, because it is through playing and toying around with simple objects that we become curious and experience our most extraordinary moments of discovery. As we move into the fourth industrial revolution, we are entering an age that will have its disadvantages as well as its advantages. Some describe it as the, quote, cyber-physical systems revolution, wherein technology can be embedded into our bodies. We will have genome editing, breakthroughs in machine learning, and new materials. However, as we enter into this fourth industrial revolution, it is essential that we take time to challenge our curiosities, give our brains time to find discoveries, and most importantly, play. Play is not just for children, it's for adults too. Our brains deserve it, science deserves it, our future deserves it. I'm Gabrielle Burchak with Math Science History, and until next time, carpe diem. If you are interested in seeing images of these toys, as well as videos of Goldie Blocks, the Geeha Whammy Diddle, the Paperfuge, and the Swing Wing, which you have to see, it's hilarious, please visit me at mathsciencehistory.com. And while you are there, please feel free to click on that coffee button and buy me a cup of coffee, because every cup of coffee that you buy for me keeps this podcast up and running. And for those who have bought me a cup of coffee, thank you so much for all of your support. It is so appreciated.